Hello, and welcome back to Tectonic, a show in which we look at the way technology is changing our lives. I'm John Thornhill, Innovation Editor at the Financial Times in London. In this episode, we hear from an entrepreneur with a strong motivation to change the world for the better, and who believes she has found a way to do this using AI technology. Every time I go to a conference and they say, can you talk on a panel about the future of education? I say, why are you talking about the future? Let's talk about the now, because it's broken. And every time we talk about the future, it gives you some false sense of security that this is something that you can do later. Whereas if you look at the statistics, this is absolutely urgent. That was Priya Lakhani, founder and chief executive of educational technology company Century Tech. She came into the FT to talk to me about the way her company is improving the life chances of students in UK schools and in refugee camps in the Middle East. Welcome, Priya. Thank you. First question, I want to know how someone who trained as a libel lawyer and then founded their own ethnic source company ends up running an edtech business. <laughs> it's it not a logical career progression. It bizarre, doesn't it? So I've thought about this quite a lot because I'm often asked, how have you got such a varied career history? But really, it all stems down to one thing, and that really comes down to disruption. I'm known to be quite disruptive, but I think in a positive way. When I was very, very young, I spent a lot of summers and winters in East Africa and saw, you know, what was around me, the poverty around me, felt very privileged. And I just decided at a very young age that I was born to change the world. It sounds very, very naive, potentially, but that's what I was born to do. And so I grew up thinking, what could I do? Which career sits well with that? And decided it was the bar, I wanted to be a barrister. So I went along and did that figured out that I wasn't really changing the world as profoundly as I'd hoped. And then it really came to me that I wanted to sort of spot gaps in the market. So I was working late nights as a lawyer and there weren't any fresh sources where I could sort of cheat and make something that looked semi-home cooked. And so I decided to start up Masala Masala, which was the ethnic source company. I attached it to a one-for-one programme. So for every pot of sauce that we sold, we fed a homeless person a hot meal. We built schools, provided vaccines. There, put on an advisory board in government, Um, There, it was being complained about, you know, that 1.8 million children were underperforming in UK schools. And again, it was sort of a problem-oriented approach. I could see there was a gap there, what's going on in schools, learnt about the problems, and then decided, actually, this is something that's really, really important to fix, and decided to go ahead and try and fix it myself. And what gave you the confidence that you knew the answer? That's a really good question. I'm just going to be really honest about it. Um, I didn't. What I could see was that there were really, really big problems in one of the most important sectors of the world. I could see that technology was being used in classrooms and they tried all these different types of efforts, but we still had huge issues at the front line of education and I wanted to help. So from there, I sort of did some research. I did a couple of nano degrees in artificial intelligence and in neuroscience. I taught for two years when I was a barrister. So I was a part-time teacher of postgraduate students at university. So I understood a little bit about the pedagogy and learning science. And I thought, look, we have to solve this. There's an urgency here. And so actually, just by doing lots of research, I came upon this idea that we can go into that's all about using advanced technology in education. And then it just came down to really this moment where I thought, well, if I don't do it, who will? And it's that six-year-old East African child in me that just thought this is something that's really, really important. And, you know, Don, there are so many moments where... I remember when I was researching this and I I wrote down on a piece of paper, I am in over my head because I was looking at, you know, all the CVs of these amazing tech entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley and they had 
postdocs from MIT and Harvard. And there was me thinking I'm going to build an AI company. But, you know, it's just a lots of support from the right people, lots of amazing investors. And here we are today. Right. So let's start. What are the problems in education that you think technology can help solve? Well, there's so many problems in education. Um, so, you know, it's not like I've sort of picked all of them. But I went to schools and I did some research. And this was really born out of being on Vince Cable's advisory board. So um, Vince Cable and Matthew Hancock, who is obviously now Secretary of State for Health, had sort of pointed out at the time that many, many children were underperforming in UK schools. So just out of curiosity, I went to schools and I picked up two specific problems. I think these are pretty obvious now when we think about them, but this one size fits all delivery of education is clearly inadequate. And most teachers will say that, you know, if you're standing in front of a classroom and the average class size is 27 children, in parts of Africa that I've been to now, it's 65, 75 in a classroom. You know, a teacher will stand in the front and then there's that typical sort of chalk and talk, deliver a lecture to the class. And many children will struggle behind and many will need further stretch. And so we know that doesn't quite work. We know that we want to differentiate for every child. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But it's just impossible to do with the types of resources that we have, the amount of teachers we have. And so that was one big problem. And then there was a second major problem, and this still exists today. Teachers spend 60% of their time on admin and not teaching. So they spend a lot of time micro-marking and micro-assessing. Now, you know, in society, we can sit there and think, oh, being a teacher is great. You get really long summer holidays. You get to go home at 3.30. And actually, it's not true. They work very, very late at night. They work on their weekends, their marking and planning. And these long summer holidays are actually, you know, pretty shortened because they have to plan for the following year. And so what are they doing? Why are they spending all this time on admin? And what teachers sign up to do is teach, inspire young people, impart knowledge of a subject they're really passionate about, focus on the pastoral care of a child. And then it was alarming that at the time, 74% of teachers consider quitting their jobs in the next three years. That's a national crisis. And we're already short of 40,000 teachers in the UK. So... I wanted to solve those two problems. And interestingly, they were very connected in terms of how technology could help. Now, a lot of edtech companies say that they want to replace teachers, in effect, that there's no point in having a teacher in the classroom anymore. That's very 20th century, that you can learn everything that you need to by following a MOOC or reading something online. But as you're saying, you're very much wanting to augment the teacher rather than yeah. replace them. Absolutely. It actually makes my blood boil when I hear that people want to replace teachers. And, you know, I've got two young children and I just think, right, so what do you want me to do? Send them into some sort of a future school with what, robots, with just machines? I mean, you're absolutely mad. That one-to-one -one interaction of the human beings, you know, from a teacher to a child is so important. And we know that. And with the rise of social media and all these other issues, you know, well-being issues, mental health, we know that that's really, really important. And, you know, if we all look back at school, just this basic point, not about technology, and we think about that subject we adored at school, within about five seconds, you would start talking about a teacher who changed your life. So I think it's nonsense that technology will replace teachers. I think teachers' roles may change slightly. That could be true. But what we really believe is that this teacher is spending so much time doing a role in the classroom that really they shouldn't be doing and that potentially you know, a machine could do better. You know, if we think about artificial intelligence, what's artificial intelligence and what's human? And if we can separate those, a teacher should spend time doing what humans can intelligently do. And that is that one-to-one -one interaction with a child. It's timely targeted interventions. It's focusing on the pastoral care of the child. What a machine can do is it can auto-mark assessments. Why on earth are we still in this phase? You know, when you and I went to school, when our parents went to school, where a teacher will hand out 30 tests in a classroom, receive them, mark them. Then we're asking them to be data analysts and figure out where the misconceptions are. It's not just about 
analysing a test, you know, summarising a test and seeing who's proficient or who's not. Well, if they're not, why not? So then they have to go into that detail. So the idea is how can a machine help a teacher analyse that in a nanosecond so the teacher can take the insights and then make those really, really powerful interventions? Can you tell us how does it work? Drill yeah. down into the technology. What are you doing and how are you enabling students to learn better and teachers to teach better? So what it's not, and this is really important, is it's not a learning management system, which is most of the systems that you see in school. And a learning management system is confusing because it has the word learning at the start. Those are mostly management systems. They're about management. This is a system that's about learning. It's the holy grail of education. Right? We think of education, we think, oh, it's been inflicted on us. You know, We have to spoon feed our children education. But when you think about learning, it's very, very beautiful. So what this system does is a student logs in. Just imagine a student logging in from anywhere in the world, on any device, it's in the cloud at any time. The machine will track every interaction of the student with the platform. So every touch, every time that they're going idle, it's collecting the data every two seconds and pinging that data into the service and it's analysing that. Every time they are interacting with potentially a message that pops up that's all founded in neuroscience and based on growth mindset, which is Carol Dweck's work from Stanford University. So it's got these messages popping up, the child's in the system and it's going to then present learning material to the child. Now, when the child is interacting and consuming that material, if the child, for example, let's say they're focused on an area in physics and they're learning physics, the machine will track the child's behaviours and movements with that particular area of physics. It will then cross-analyse the child's behaviour, every single movement, and the machine can figure out, well, this student is struggling with physics because actually they're struggling with mathematics. And it's looking at patterns and correlations in behaviour. And the machine will learn by itself where those patterns and correlations of behaviour are. So a student that's logged in in Hong Kong will affect the algorithms and affect what is then presented potentially to a child in Wigan. And so it will constantly learn how these students are learning. So, you know, if this machine then concludes that this student seems to be struggling with mathematics, it will then present that content in mathematics. So if it's philosophy and physics they're studying and actually they can't calculate equations in maths, that will pop up and then they can go on and learn that. And is this taking place in the classroom itself or is this augmenting what they're doing outside the classroom when they're doing their homework? So Sensory is actually used, you know, 50% of schools use it in the school in a blended learning environment. So in the classroom, it's, you know, headphones on, screens in front of the students about an hour a week. So it's not much. It's not about sitting with a screen every single day because you only need to use it for about an hour a week for it to come up with all of this information and differentiate for you. And then half of schools will use it for homework because they've got a strong homework policy. Children may not have access access to ICT hardware um, in the classroom and in school. And some will free learn. So we have some of the big marquee names, if you like, in the United Kingdom and actually all over the world that use it in that sort of a way where they just give access to students and they might have, for example, a breakfast club or an after-school club. But the most important part of this is they use it in a very personalised way because teaching is as personalised as learning is and that mustn't be forgotten. But while the student is presented with this differentiated, personalised journey, what's really, really powerful, and this is why I know teachers will not be replaced, is that the machine will analyse that behaviour. And in literally a second, it will tell the teacher, here's who needs support, here is who needs stretch, and this is why. And parents and guardians can see that as well. And that's important because you want to present that information and actual insights to a teacher. Now, what if John, student John, has logged in three times, tried something and still failed. That's not the machine's job to fix. It is now the job of the teacher to look at that and think, right, why is John struggling? How can I help? Can another peer of his 
help him. And this is where you get the beauty of teaching. How is this working in the real world? How many schools are using your system and what are the results? Yeah, so we have, so in the UK we're allowed to say that we've got 300 schools, they're using it. We've just signed quite a few for for September, which we're rolling out. So we're really, really excited about that. And that's predominantly, we have academies and state schools and then we have a fair few independent schools as well. But, you know, we started off with academies and state schools. So the majority of our schools are from that sector. But then we also have numbers that we don't necessarily release because they change from time to time. But we have countries that sign up to our system. So we have a partnership with Flanders in Belgium. They have hundreds of schools, all of them of which, you know, will have access to Century. We have the UAE. So in the United Arab Emirates, every single school can have access to Century. And we have three other partnerships with countries that are all being released in 2019 that we're really excited about. And, you know, one's in the thousands. And those countries have access to the system as well. But when they're using the system, we present them with the Ministry of Education's platform. And that's actually quite a nice thing because then students have access to this technology. They feel like it's given to them by the government, by the Department for Education. And it's just a really beautiful thing to see how all different cultures, you know, use this type of technology to improve outcomes. Now, the Financial Times used to be owned by Pearson, which is a big education company. And their watchword, which is ingrained in every former employee of Pearson, is efficacy. Yes, their big mantra was that you had to prove to people that your educational program systems, textbooks or whatever, were helping improve educational systems. How can you prove that what Century Tech does is efficacious? Yeah, that's a really great question because... I don't think that you should have any product out there in what I would call an impact sector, you know, education, health, without being able to demonstrate that actually this does good. So we've partnered with academic partners and universities. We're part of the UCL Educate programme, which I really recommend. We won the MIT Global Solve Prize for Education. But with UCL, we had a specific project where we went through a research programme with their academics, with their professors, that taught us how to analyse the data and do an impact review of Century. So that's been complete. And what was amazing from that review is that we found that students across the board improved by 30%. Now, that sounds great, but actually the stat that I was really, really pleased with, and I think everyone at Century was really pleased with, because we are a social impact company, and that's what we set out to do, was that students from economically disadvantaged backgrounds progressed at the same rate as their peers. And that was really, really important. What does improved by 30% mean? So improved by 30% was they did sort of an apple and apples test. So students would go on, they'd take a test, they'd be asked questions on a certain topic. The AI would then recommend topics to them. You know, there's AI in the machine, so there are layers of machine learning and collaborative filtering, but then there are also layers that are just statistical or they're using sort of neuroscientific theory in terms of interleaving, let's say. And so there's Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com complex machine that will then instantly provide more content for the student and then after you could see that the student had improved their outcomes that was then compared to the expected progress so 
Three schools in the Midlands did a separate analysis of this. A primary school called Lazelle said our students have increased their progress in terms of grades by 15%. And what we could see was further depth in learning. Two schools, both Shining Collegiate Academy and Streetly Academy, both, again, in the Midlands areas, reported about a 20% increase. And so there were also separate studies done by these schools we weren't really aware of, where they were comparing cohorts of students who had used the machine compared to cohorts that hadn't. And so it is really, really important to the impact but for us it was also important to say okay that's happening with the students but you have to remember that with impact studies it's really important not to claim something as causation right so there's a correlation because at the end of the day the teacher could be stood in front of them saying here is an intervention that I want to make and so we also thought well let's look at teachers and what was absolutely astounding was that teachers were reporting saving on average six hours per week that's nearly a working day in terms of micro marking and micro assessing but there's a lot more work to be done. It's not like we should stop there. But that was certainly important for us. Do the students enjoy using this system? Yeah, we've got lots of anecdotal feedback and, you know, I'd welcome anyone in our office now because we frame things that we get on social media. So we have this I love century from a little five-year-old called Henry, which is lovely. We get lots and lots of feedback. We have an 80-year-old Irish man who it was on his bucket list to finally pass his maths and English exams and he did it and he's amazing and I've seen his video. It's fantastic and he's at an FE college. We have a lot of FE colleges using our system for the maths and English retakes. As you can imagine, that's a huge burden on colleges because, you know, they don't have the funding and the resources to deal with that Just purely in a classroom with teachers and you mentioned Pearson and what's really really great about Pearson is they do focus on efficacy and we've been working really really closely with them now having proved what Century can do out there in the market in terms of what we can do together in the future and certainly that's a company that we look at and we think they're one of these names that really really take efficacy seriously so we like the idea of partnering with them. And does your system work particularly well with particular subjects or is it a general purpose learning system? It's really interesting because most people expect it to just work well with maths. I mean, this system has training for paramedics on it. It's got things about space. It's got well-being. It's got a course about neuroscience. It has the maths, English and the sciences, of course. But no, it works with anything. It works with languages. And what's really great about it is because it's content agnostic, it can hold any content. That's really important, not just because it's scalable and you can use it in different countries. You can put Arabic on it. You know, you can put any language. It's also important because education will change. There is a drive now to ensure that the emphasis is not just on maths and English and verbal reasoning. There is now a drive where we're saying what's really important in education is to provide a wholesome curriculum. So I can see courses like wellbeing, social media, cyber security, cyber bullying, all these sorts of things coming up. And so we've designed a system which will be able to host any of these. And as a business, we invest in these courses to ensure that children are getting access to all the right sorts of curricula, not just your maths and English and the sciences. Now, you raise a very interesting point there about lifelong learning because we're told now that we're all going to live to 100. The world is being disrupted incredibly fast. We're all going to have to relearn, constantly learn throughout our careers. How can your system help us do that? So it is about lifelong learning and it's certainly used for continuing professional development, for example. So there are organisations that have white-labeled the Century Technology Platform and they use it as their own. I think we should think about it not just as, you know, we're going to live to 100, so therefore we should learn. Learning is beautiful. Learning is something that actually often excites us. You know, if we invest in learning, um, whether it's something that's to do with our career, John, you know, something that's going to take us forward or just something that actually we really enjoy learning about that sparks some sort of passion, you know, that we're interested in doing at home... It's a beautiful thing. The reason why it's really important is because I believe that the one skill that every single student must learn now, this is whether you're five years old or whether you're about to leave school or college, is what I like to coin learning agility. 
It's the ability to learn how to learn. We know that we're likely to have about 17 different jobs. They've just you know, analysed this somewhere and said people will now have 17 jobs in their lifetime. And that sounds really quite terrifying. But technology is changing every single sector at such a fast pace. Formal education is there to give every single student opportunity and choice. But what does that look like? The definition of opportunity and choice is going to change. So learning agility and this ability for students to be able to go out there in the world and as the world changes, not think, oh, I need my next skill spoon-fed to me, but actually think, I can upskill myself. And lifelong learning is something that I should be doing, it should be, everyone should be doing it, is really important. And that's why Century is invested in a system that can therefore host any variety of content. Now, you're talking about your system being AI-enabled. Could you drill down a bit on that? How are you using AI to improve learning outcomes? Yeah, so AI, I mean, what is AI, right? And so I've published this little brochure with a professor at UCL that's succinctly called the No BS Guide to AI, because I think, in fact, the FT wrote a really fantastic article that something like 40% of companies use the word AI as a marketing term, and that's infuriating to companies that are spending millions actually building AI. What it means is it's a system that is collecting an enormous amount of data and behaviours and movements. And it collects that data and then it learns how to react the next time somebody's on the system by using that data to essentially teach itself where there are statistically significant patterns and correlations. That's a machine that's learning by itself and learning how to learn. So yes, humans are involved initially at the outset in developing the system. They will fine-tune the system, if you like. So people like to talk about algorithms and actually it's the weighting of the algorithms and the fine-tuning of those. That's really important. But then the machine starts to learn by itself and it becomes smarter by itself. So when we described Sentry as this technology platform where the student in Hong Kong will affect the behaviours of the student in Wigan by their movements and by their behaviours. That's a nice little sort of explanation of how the system's recommended pathways work for an individual student. It will learn how you're learning. It will adapt accordingly. It will constantly individualise for you. It will make connections between content. A teacher might be able to make that connection, but the fact is it will take us months, if not years, to come up with every connection with content. What's the most surprising thing you've learned out of this? In terms of the business or in terms of the content? In terms of how people learn. So I think we've seen a lot of information. We've looked at students with special needs. So we've looked at autism. We've looked at dyslexia. I've been told off about looking at the dyspraxia because apparently we didn't have enough dyspraxic students. So that's fine because we have really purist data scientists who are very careful with what they're doing. Actually, what surprised me was that the economically disadvantaged students progressed at the same rate as the other students. I wasn't expecting to see that. And that's terrible because that's an assumption that some of us will make. You know, we'll say, well, actually, how many people engage with it? Why would they engage with it? Particularly excluded children. So excluded children was a real surprise. We thought, well, if you're excluded from school and you're going to be given access to the system, you're not going to log in and learn because Century's not a game. And that's really, really important. It's a big distinction. It's not something that gives you, you know, a thousand points every time you log in. It's about learning. And what was shocking was that these students really engage well, to the point where two people have actually done their GCSEs having solely learned off our system, which is amazing. So that's great. But I mean, other than that, you know, we could be here all day with all the surprises and shocks that I've learned about education and teaching as well. OK, it's not to do with technology, but it's probably the most important thing that I've learned, really. And that's actually how society treats teachers, how teachers talk about themselves. I think Century is going to help. I can see it helping an enormous amount. But I think unless we change the way that we see teachers, these are the people that make doctors. These are the people that make the engineers. Mm -hmm. You know, they make the rocket scientists. Yet when they talk about themselves, they say, I'm just a teacher. And I think that's something that we're going to have to change because unless we change that, 
we will always have this teacher recruitment crisis and we're not going to be able to solve it. So it's part of my job to try and help them enjoy their work as much as they can, but also part of my work on the National Teacher Trust is to try and raise the profile of such an important profession. I wholeheartedly agree with that, being married to a teacher. (laughs) Now, tell me where you are with Century Tech. Where are you in your corporate development? So in terms of corporate development, I mean, we're five years in in terms of having had the system out there. We're a well-funded company by some incredible investors. How much money were you taking in? So as of about a week's time, we'll have taken in £13 million. The projections look really great. Um, Our forecasts are great. Obviously, these partnerships that we have formed with various governments has been instrumental to our progress and success. But John, you know, we're seriously ambitious. So at the moment, the sentiment of Century is that it couldn't move fast enough. And what are the biggest challenges confronting your business at the moment? The biggest challenges in terms of the business are, so it's going well, we've proved the efficacy, all these things are happening. And these are things that needed to happen. And they took a little while because obviously, if you're going to do a study, it's going to take time. But really, it's not about having the technology now. We've built the technology. It's about the change management. When we go into a new area, obviously, we provide this platform white label to ministries of education. So that's why it's not Century's product, if you like. We're just providing them with technology. But what we often find is there is a change management issue. So you go into a country, technology's there, looks great. And then you have thousands of teachers to convince that this is worth taking a punt on. And as you can imagine, there are teachers who've been teaching for 20, 30 years who sort of look at it and just think, I've seen this all before. It's not going to work. And trying to explain artificial intelligence and explain the difference is really, really challenging. So how do you overcome that resistance? So the way we overcome it in the UK has been a little bit easier because there are flagship schools now popping up all over the place. We don't even have a sales force. They just tell each other and then schools come to us and sign the system and parents lobby their schools to sign on the system. We'll stand up at a conference and we'll often do it with a head teacher who will say, these are the results. Let me get some kids on stage. Let them tell you about it. So that's been a bit easier. But when you're going somewhere else in the world, let's say we're going to the Far East, you've got to operate under their conditions. We can't just build a flagship schools programme and say, this is how to do it. We can advise them on to do that. But they have their own ways of dealing with their education system. And that can be a challenge because it's a different culture. So often we'll have a local presence there, we'll partner with people and we will try the same type of rollout. But, you know, it comes with challenges. All of these things come with challenges. And that's something that we're just going to have to learn and try and work with them. Do you think the opportunities for you are the greatest in the less developed parts of the world where they don't have the legacy educational institutions? I mean, a lot of the ed tech companies in China are quite phenomenal, the pace that they're moving, partly because yeah. of the demand that there is for education and the lack of supply. I think that, you know, when we look at the world, it's really surprising because if you look at the partnerships that we're able to talk about, you know, and we look at the Middle East and we look at Flanders in Belgium, I mean, they couldn't be more different. So I think there is opportunity everywhere. I think there's opportunity in the US. But I think certainly I agree with you that there are some countries that can leapfrog others because they don't have legacy systems in place. And so there are some districts you might go to the US and they say, but we've already installed this. You know, in order to now take in a new system, we have to essentially do a whole other piece of change management. So there are those sorts of opportunities in those countries that don't have legacy systems. But on the other hand, you have infrastructure issues, right? So some of them will say, well, it's fantastic. It would work in our urban environments. But what about our rural schools where there's no Wi-Fi, there's no connectivity? Does it work on 3G? We were speaking to the Minister of Education for Palestine. And it was interesting. He said, we're not allowed 4G. And I said, what does that mean? You know. And so you've got all of these hurdles in different places that you have to overcome. And it's just working on a case-by-case basis. But what I would say is there is an appetite. 
I think people are fed up of having the what is the future of education conversation. I'm certainly fed up of it. You know, every time I go to a conference and they say, can you talk on a panel about the future of education? I say, why are you talking about the future? Let's talk about the now because it's broken. And every time we talk about the future, it gives you some false sense of security that this is something that you can do later. Whereas if you look at the statistics, this is absolutely urgent. So there is definitely an appetite in different parts of the world, but different countries and different regions certainly have different challenges. Final question, but quite an important one. How do you make money out of this? So how we make money out of this is so we have a three-tier model. So we have our system that we white label and we work with corporates who will use our technology as a learning and development platform and they will pay the market rate for the system because it's content agnostic. So you could put any sort of training. You can put you know KYC and money laundering compliance if you want on the system and it works very, very well. There's no guessing and there's no skipping. You know We can track hesitating on our system. So <laughs> all those adults that think they're going to whiz through multiple choice until they're done can think again. But... Those courses can be on the system. We market that at market rate. That then subsidises our schools programme. So schools do subscribe to the system. But we've made it so cost effective that no school said, well, I can't afford this. And we've made it so that it's a no-brainer. That subsidises that. When the schools actually pay for the system... What's great is they are then subsidising our refugee programme. So, you know, we started this conversation about the why. And I said to you, look, I want to change the world in a positive way. I want to ensure that this is really AI for all, because this is AI for good. And so the refugee programmes are incredibly important to us. And now what's really great is we've got an influx of interest from some grant making bodies saying, well, if you're doing that work, then let's help you along the way. So it's something that, you know, we've had no issue raising investment for investors who are looking at this as a completely commercial proposition. But then it's great that we also have some really, really great philanthropists who are supporting us as well. And on the refugee programme, where are you working and what benefits are they getting? How are they enabling them to be absorbed into the local environment or help them find jobs? So we focus on Lebanon because Lebanon has 250,000 Lebanese children in school and 250,000 Syrian refugees. And so what they've actually done is split their system now where the Lebanese kids go to school in the morning and the Syrian refugees go in the afternoon. And, you know, it's really, really difficult to cope with. And so we focus there. What they get out of it is that the schools will have the platform. So, you know, we've seen Syrian refugees and Lebanese children learning in English, interestingly, even though Arabic is absolutely possible, all these languages are possible, but they've been learning on the system and then it will differentiate for them. So it gives them that path to mastery using the AI that gives the teachers those interventions charts so they can see where to intervene. And if there are children that have not come to school for whatever reason, they can access it on the mobile so they can access their lesson. You know, it's the most infuriating and frustrating thing for any teacher anywhere in the world is when someone in the class doesn't turn up and you've somehow got to now deal with the fact that there's a lack in knowledge. So children can then keep up wherever they are at home and that's how it's helping. All right. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Priya. Thank you so much, John. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Tectonic. In the meantime, we welcome comments and suggestions from listeners. So please email us at tectonic at ft.com and let us know what you think of the show. Tectonic is produced by Fiona Simon.